let me remind us very briefly, very briefly. Um, hello, Mark. <laughs> let me remind us very briefly uh, what we're doing. This is our May uh, lecture series. And um, every year the session chooses a topic that they feel like our people um, maybe need uh, education and discipleship in, and we shut down adult Sunday school classes and give me the platform to be able to teach on that topic. This year we are doing Presbyterianism. What does it mean to be Presbyterian? Uh, I told you last week that, and by the way, I apologize, I have no PowerPoint this week, and this is the week I really, really, really need PowerPoint. Um, I'm sorry. I just, uh, uh, my week, the, the one thing that got lost, I got everything done except a PowerPoint for, for this. So you're going to have to use your imagination as I describe charts, and I'll do my best to, I'll do my best. But afterward, I am going to give it to our tech person who will take the lecture, and then they'll put together uh, maybe just a one-sheet visual illustration. If you want to go back and listen to it with some of that, you can. But there's no PowerPoint. I, I'm sorry. Uh, last week, I told you that what we're doing, the way we're coming at this, is we're going big to small. We are Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. Last week, we started with church. Then this week is Presbyterian. The next week is Tate's Creek. So I want to start big with what is the church Catholic? What does that mean? And you can you remember my exhortion at the end, my final exhortation was, you need to be a part of the church. Very simple. You need to be a member of the church. You need to submit yourself to the authority and government and discipline of the church. It doesn't have to be TCPC. Uh, we're not claiming that Tate's Creek is the church, but you do need to be a part of the institution of the church. That was my main takeaway. And then I told you, come back next week, and let me try to convince you why it should be a Presbyterian church. And so this week, I'm going to explain Presbyterianism. And then next week, I'm going to explain Tate's Creek and how we function as a church and um, the uniqueness of that. My goal that I don't th be, think I'm going to be able to do is get through, I wanted to do, answer two questions this morning. What is Presbyterianism and what is PCA? I don't think I'm going to be able to do PCA. We'll see. I've got, um, I've got a, um, this is unlike my sermons. I've just got a page of just jumbled notes that I'm going to be going through. Um, and I like to teach that way. It gives me a little bit more freedom. But because of that, I'm not entirely sure how far I'm going to be able to get through it. But it's not a problem at all. If all I get through is Presbyterianism this morning, I'll be happy. And then next week when we, ask, um, when we look at Tate's Creek, we'll start with the PCA as a denomination. And then we'll look at our local church. So let me read one passage of Scripture and pray for us. And then we will jump right in to what it means to be Presbyterian. This is, uh, this is from uh, the book of Titus. Uh, which is Paul's letter to him. And the first chapter, his first exhortation to Titus is this. He says, this is why I left you in Crete. So Paul's been to Crete. He's planted the church. He's seen conversions. He's got a local church formed, and he's left Titus there uh, to be over the church. And he says this, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Let me pray. Lord, we now look to your institution, your church, your bride, and we know that you take these things seriously. And, and the weight of what we looked at last week, that the keys of the kingdom of heaven, that the authority and discipline of the church belongs to the church and how weighty that is, how significant that is. And so we must ask the question, how is it that the church practices authority? And 
Lord, um, I believe from Scripture that this is true, and so um, I pray that you would give us clarity of thought that um, we would see um, the plurality of elders and the authority of ordained elders and the system of church government is a beautiful thing, not a boring thing, not a cumbersome thing, not a um, thing to be skeptical about and cynical about, but as a thing that leads to flourishing of those in submission to it. Help us as a church and help us as a PCA, as the PCA, to do Presbyterianism well. Lord, when we do this well, it is beautiful. Um, When we don't, it can be ugly. And so I pray that we as a church would continue to practice this well and that you would help our church now to um, understand how it is we function and operate in the important and holy business of your church. We pray in your name. Amen. So last week, uh, we, we, we ended with, we talked about the keys of the kingdom of heaven, that the authority of God on earth, the authority of heaven on earth belongs to the church. And then I ended with, okay, but how does the church do authority? Presbyterianism, at its core, is a unique answer to that question. Typically, when people come to our church and they think Presbyterianism, they think things like infant baptism, uh, predestination. Um, I talk about. I have to I have to t- tell people why I wear a robe. These these are the questions that I tend to answer around here, and they think maybe that's what it means to be Presbyterian. That's not what it means to be Presbyterian. There are many traditions. In fact, all traditions in some form outside of the uh, Anabaptist strand um, have have this in some form. What it means to be Presbyterianism is a unique form of ecclesiastical authority. I'll say it differently. What it means to be Presbyterianism is a unique form of church government. There are um, two major strands that we're going to look at in a second. The Episcopal form of church government and the Congregational form of church government. And those strands, those, those two Protestant strands have many different traditions underneath of them. So in the Episcopal form, you have the Episcopal Church, the Anglican Church, to some degree the Methodist Church, and so forth. In the Congregationalist form, you've got the Baptist Church, the Church of Christ, Congregationalist, non-denominations, all this stuff. But there's one church government that is only one tradition, and that's Presbyterianism. So there's Episcopal form, there's Congregational form, and then there's Presbyterian form. And so to be Presbyterian is to subscribe to a certain form of church government. You need to know that. The reason why I'm a Presbyterian is not necessarily because of my, my Reformed theology. I can find that in other traditions. But the reason why I'm a Presbyterian minister is because I believe wholeheartedly in this form of ecclesiastical authority. So how did we get here? I'm going to start with the Reformation. By the way, I'm not going to give the history of Presbyterianism. If you want the history of how all this developed, um, you can go online and for Reformation Sunday this year is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Uh, for some of you, many of you were there actually. Um, I gave the history of the Reformation from Martin Luther all the way to TCPC. And we talked about how Presbyterianism um, developed and the history and all that. I'll get into some of that this morning. But I'm just going to tell you to go listen to that lecture if you want to know the details and the history of how this all came about. In fact, this week we're going to be releasing ahead. My, uh, the, the tech guy go and listen to that um, lecture and put together a really helpful uh, diagram that goes along with it that maps out that lecture uh, on, on a map and it's, it's helpful. So we'll be releasing that this week. You can look for that. But um, out of the Reformation, Reformation of course was the Protestant Reformation um, where what was rejected was so many things uh, about the Catholic Church but one of those 
significant things was um, the, the form of church government that the Catholic Church produced, specifically uh, the Pope as the infallible head of the church passed down from apostolic succession. Um, that was rejected. The strict infallible hierarchy of the Catholic Church was rejected in the Protestant Reformation. But that left the church, the Protestant church, with this question, well, then how are we going to do church government? How does this work? So like I said, what came out of that are three strands. This is an oversimplification. If you're a church history person, um, you'll, you'll, you're, I'm sorry, don't come up to me and, and nuance it. I get it. But a generalization, there are three strands that came out of the Reformation. Okay? The first is the Episcopal form of church government. Um, Episcopal comes from episcopus, meaning um, bishop or overseer, and it retains the ecclesiastical hierarchy. This is where a chart would be really good, but that's okay. Picture this. Um, and basically, you got, you got presiding bishops all the way down, okay? So it retains the hierarchy of the Catholic Church, but not as an infallible authority over or at least equal to scripture so it retains the hierarchy but without the pope and the cardinals and and the vatican and all that stuff it's 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 uh presiding bishops over a hierarchy that was one end on the other end is a congregational form of church government that threw out the entire concept of a hierarchy they rejected it altogether and said the church should not be um, organized as a hierarchy the church should be independent, autonomous congregations. And the congregations themselves are an authority unto themselves. Okay, so in the hierarchy, it's a top-down approach. In a congregationalist form of church government, it's a bottom-up approach. It's the rule of the majority. Um, so the congregationalist form of church government, there is no authority body over the congregation to come and discipline, correct, change, influence, or anything like that. We are our own autonomous congregation and the way they view themselves is that every local church is a, a small manifest, a small independent manifestation of the greater church. Okay, congregation of the former church government uh, that came out of the radical reformation. Well, I'm not going into history, but congregation of the former church government. Okay, um, I do this in the foundations class, and I think it's helpful for people. This is where you're going to engage a little bit. Tell me what you would say, what would be some advantages of a hierarchy approach to church government? What, would be, what, what, what are the good of that? Consistency, yes, yes. So you're not, you're not having every church believe in different things, da, da, da. You can have that in a congregational church. What else? Doctrinal purity. Doctrinal purity. So um, that would go with consistencies, but only consistency in... in um, in doctrine, um, so in, in, in a congregation form of church government, you can have incredibly inconsistent theological statements. So essentially each church is coming up with what they believe. In a hierarchy, there is a doctrinal confession that they subscribe to and they implement and so forth. Um, some would say it could go the other, if the, if, the, if the hierarchy gets corrupted, then the whole thing goes off. But yes, you do have doctrinal consistencies, whether it's orthodox doctrine or uh, corrupt doctrine. Okay. Any anything else? Hierarchy. Control. control. Yeah. What, what? Something over there. Accountability. Accountability. Control. Yeah. Yeah. Authority. Accountability. Control. Um, you know, there there is a system in place of authority so that nobody is living without uh, without authority and, and and whatnot. Good answers. What would be some of the struggles with the hierarchy? 
Hmm? Inflexible. Yes. So uh, a local church does not have the flexibility to be its own church and to move, and it's red tape, and it's, and it's difficult to, to move the hierarchy in any direction. Um, it's very bureaucratic. Okay, good. What else? Hmm? Communication. Communication. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that one doesn't normally come up. But yeah, when you're just saying, hey, all we got to worry about is one local congregation, one church, we're setting our own deal, we're doing our own thing. That's easy to communicate with. When you've got an entire hierarchy system of how do you do communication within the hierarchy of that? Yeah, that's good. What else? What would be a struggles? Yeah, any of those things gone wrong. So any of, the ba- any of the good stuff that we talked about gone bad, a bad seed in there throws off the whole thing, which of course is what happened to the Catholic Church. Yeah, so um, it's, it's, it's prone to, there's, there's no way to get out of the corruption if the whole thing becomes corrupt. Okay, let's talk about congregationalism. This would be a Baptist church, a non-denominational church, churches of Christ, um, yeah, so forth, so forth. Uh, wh- what would be some advantages to a congregationalist form of church government? Yeah. What's that? Democratic, right. So the, 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 uh, the congregation has a voice. It matters, yeah. Balance of power, okay. So there's a check and system in place. Yeah, 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 okay. Balance of power, yeah, that's good. What else? Adaptable, yeah. Somebody said inflexible here. Boy, adaptability. The, the, a Baptist church can do what it wants when it wants to do it. It doesn't have to ask anybody for permission. So we want to go in this direction, we're going in this direction, and, and we just have to have a good old-fashioned congregational meeting and do it. So yeah, you're able to move quickly, whatnot. All right, what about, uh, what, what would be some disadvantages to a congregation's former church government? You know, and it's interesting, I would say, if you don't mind, let's just do this. How many of you came from an Episcopal former church government? Okay, how many of you came from a congregationalist former church government? Yeah, this, this is Kentucky, yeah. Um, okay, so uh, what would, when you look at the, and I'm not trying to ask you to, you know, bash your, 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 your past, but what, uh, what would be some disadvantages that you, you observed in that former church government? Yeah, big one, congregational disunity. So um, the rule of the masses can be an incredible... Uh, <laughs> political drama within a local church. So um, if you have to have a congregational meeting to make every decision, well, then it turns the congregation into uh, one big campaign. Um, and that includes the pastor. In a congregationalist form of church government, you would have a meeting every year to uh, say, do you still want me? I have no idea how they pastor in, in a context like that. You can't do that to me here. But in that context, you can do that. And so do we want the guy, do we not want the guy? If I don't want the guy, I'll try to get people in my camp. And it just creates infighting and clicking and fighting over colors of carpet and, and everything in the church. So yeah, yeah, the, the infighting happened. Okay, what else? Yeah, lack of accountability. That, that would be, um, I would say doctrinally, that's certainly true. So the illustration I like to use is if you go downtown, Main Street Baptist, um, African-American Baptist Church right, right uh, um, next to Rupp Arena, incredible church. I meet with their pastor um, often. We're going to pulpit swap this year. You'll get to hear from him. Wonderful church. Love them doctrinally. Brothers, I mean, we, are, we could not be more together in, in this city. Across the street is First Baptist Church, where I actually grew up and is a completely different church now. 
But it is, um, the pastor there denies the, um, the sinlessness of Jesus, the virgin birth of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, uh, the Trinity. I mean, just doctrinally denies everything that is orthodoxy across the street from each other. And there's no, there's no system in place to come into First Baptist Church and say, you all can't do that. They're their own autonomous congregation. So there's no accountability, but there's also no accountability. Um, there's no system of accountability when it comes to um, ethics, um, not just the doctrine, but the practices, particularly the leadership. Uh, so in a, in a Baptist context, it's supposed to work where congregations form a church government, kind of holds the pastor in check. But what happens over years is the people that like the pastor and keep voting him in get bigger and bigger and people don't like him leave. So you got one big congregation that it's a person called a personality where that person's on top of the congregation and there's nothing to hold that person accountable to, um, you know, to, to, to life. Now, now I, I love and appreciate our Reformed Baptist churches now who are putting themselves under the submission of plurality of leadership that's taking place, but still, accountability. Okay, wouldn't it be awesome if we could come up with a former church government that got rid of all the bad stuff and took all the good stuff and just did it together. Eh, Presbyterianism. Um, all right. What is Presbyterianism? It's, it's the third way of the Reformation. Um, I'm not going to go through the history, but it was born out of... I need a watch or a phone or something. Okay. Ten minutes. Okay, I'll, I'm going to go a little close. If you're going to the second service, I mean, if you, if you went to the first service, you have to get out of here at, quickly when I end this. I will, I will pray and you will run. Um, okay, Presbyterianism. It's a third way. Um, I won't go into the history, but it was born out of this idea of how do you do church authority? Who is the head of the church? Is it um, a hierarchy authority or is it the congregation? And, the, and John Knox said, no, actually, uh, there is no head of the church except King Jesus. He is the head of the church. So he said to the Church of England, uh, no, your king will not rule over us. Jesus is the head of our church. And he said to Rome, no, there will be no pope over us. King Jesus is the head of the church. But there is, there is some type of authority, which is a struggle with congregationalism. So what is it? Well, he searched the scriptures. And what he started to see was emerge from the New Testament church is this, is this idea of el- what I read, elders appointed to rule and govern over local church bodies. Not just local church bodies, but um, over uh, the whole denomination as a whole. And I'll explain all this from Scripture in a moment. If you want, I'm going to explain it to you, but to help conceive of it, I want, to, I want you to... Um, there, was a, there, was, there was one founding father um, of America who was a minister. There's one minister as a founding father. Does anybody know who that is? Bonus points. Witherspoon, right? John Witherspoon. He was a Presbyterian. Scott, Presbyterian. He had enormous influence over America in one area, drafting the Articles of Confederation. Representation, the divisions of power, the systems of authority and accountability that we see in the American form of democracy, that all came from a Presbyterian, okay? So if you want to conceive, how does Presbyterianism work? Think about United States form of, of, of secular civil government, okay? Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe, maybe that. maybe that deter you from Presbyterian. The way it should work, okay? The way the, way the system should work. 
Um, and, and so here's what it is. It is a system of representation and accountability and authority and divisions of power. So we'll start from the bottom, we'll go up, okay? TCPC. Um, what you do is you appoint, you nominate and elect elders to serve as a session of elders over you, okay? That nomination process is very simple. We open it up, you nominate. If somebody gets three independent nominations, then they are officially nominated to be an elder of this church, a representative, a congressman of this church, okay? Um, they, will be they will be trained by me, examined by the current session of elders, and if they pass the examination, then they will come back to you for a vote. And if you vote them in, a simple majority vote, they are officially an elder. They will be ordained as an elder. It's called a ruling elder over TCPC, okay? So TCPC is led and governed by a session of ruling elders that you have nominated and appointed and elected to rule, spiritual sense, over you. That session of elders does two things. They are the decision-making body. They're the legislative body of the church, so to speak. And they're the shepherding body of the church. So they make the decisions of the church. So we will not have a congregational meeting to ask what color you think the carpet should be. They'll, well, they won't. They'll, they'll have a committee, study it, come back and say, we think the carpet should be red. Great, red. We're not going to ask you about that. Sorry. There are two things you get to vote on here. One, me, the senior pastor. Two, if the session ever decides that it wants to go into debt. They can't go into debt without your vote, Okay. Everything else, including hires and everything else, the session has the authority to make those decisions. And they are the pastoring. So the decision-making body and the pastoring body of the church. So yes, I'm the senior pastor, but they are the shepherds of this congregation. That's why the term bishop, episcopus, um, it means overseer and under-shepherd. And in and, 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 and the New Testament, elder and bishop are used interchangeably, okay? It's not, it's not like the Episcopal form uses it. It's an under-shepherd. So Jesus is the high shepherd, the authority. We are under-shepherds, okay? I don't have a vote on that session. I'm what's called the moderator of the session, okay? I, I, I lead the session. I um, lead the meetings. I disciple the session. I set the culture of the session. But I don't have a vote on the session. I don't make decisions at Taste Creek Presbyterian Church. If you don't like something, don't get mad at me. Get mad at them. It's their fault. And if you don't like me, don't talk to me. Talk to them. They are running this church. Well, I'm not going to do it this week. We'll get into how we function as, at TCPs because we're a larger church and it makes a difference. Okay, well, who, who holds the, 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 the session accountable? Who's this, this is going to be this all-boys club that kind of gets to do everything? What if they get corrupt? What if they get, who's holding them accountable? All right. Above the session, above the city is the state government, okay? The local government, state government. Here's the state. It is called a presbytery. A presbytery is made up of all of the churches, all of the Presbyterian churches in that geographical region. So we are in the Ohio Valley Presbytery, okay? The Presbytery is made up of delegates from every session within the Presbytery. So every PCA church in the Ohio Valley Presbytery sends delegates to the Presbytery. And that body has authority over the local sessions, okay? Who makes up the Presbytery? Delegates... Of every session, from two delegates of every session from, from, from the churches and all of the pastors. So I'm an elder, but I'm not a ruling elder. I'm a teaching elder. I'm an ordained pastor. So I do have a vote at Presbytery. Will does have a vote at Presbytery. Mark does have a vote at Presbytery. Ordained pastors having a vote at Presbytery level. 
So we get together, all of these delegate ruling elders and teaching elders get together, and we do the business of the church on the presbytery level. Okay, well, is there not a large kind of federal thing governing this whole thing? There is. So you get the session of elders, the presbytery of elders, then there's the general assembly of elders. This meets once a year, session monthly, uh, presbytery quarterly, general assembly annually. This is happening here in a month. Where delegates from all of the presbyteries, including all of the pastors, come to make decisions for that body. Okay? So, that's the structure. So, how does it work? How does it work? Um, This is how we do business, okay? Um, We have a church constitution. Our church constitution is the Westminster Confessions of Faith and the Book of Church Order. So the Westminster Confession of Faith is our doctrinal standard. The Booker Church Order is the, is, is the what would you call it? The operating manual of the PCA, the Presbyterian Church. Good word. All right. That's what we subscribe to and that's what we adhere to. The business that we do in the church is making changes to that. Now, it's, we've only made changes to Westminster one time. It's really hard to make. That's like the Constitution. You can't make changes to the Constitution, okay? It's really, really hard. You can, but it's really, really hard. But primarily what we're doing is we're making changes to our operating manual, our book of church order, which has the rules of discipline and ordination and worship and all these different things. So what happens is, is that a presbytery will bring an, what's called an overture to General Assembly, a proposed change to the PCA, okay? At that General Assembly, it will be debated on the floor, Now, this could come all the way from you, by the way. You, a member of the PCA, could come to your elder, uh, your representative on the session, and say, hey, I want to see this change, okay? That person comes, we debate in the session, we think, good call, let's bring it to the presbytery. The presbytery debates it, I like that idea. Let's bring that as an overture to General Assembly for a proposed change to the PCA. At General Assembly, we will debate all of these overtures, thousands of ministers and elders on on a convention floor debating these overtures, and if the overture passes, it's not law yet, it goes back the following year to the presbyteries, and if two-thirds of the presbyteries ratify, if two-thirds of the presbytery vote yes to it, then it is officially rule in the Presbyterian church. So that's how we do business. That's how we change things in the church. You are represented at these different levels and things. How do we do the discipline? The exact same way. The session disciplines, does discipline and authority, over uh, a local congregation. A presbytery does discipline and authority over um, the session and pastors. And a general assembly does authority and discipline over um, a presbytery. So it is this system of balance of power and representation and accountability that works really, really well. Now, did Knox, John Knox just say, I've got a way to fix the system. I'm going to take this part from Episcopal and I'm going to take this part from Congregationalist and I'm going to come up with Presbyterianism and it's just really, no, that's not what he did. He saw it there because it was biblical. What happened is when he searched the scriptures, what he saw is this priority of elders ruling. Like I just said, Titus, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. We see in Acts 20, Paul addressing the Ephesians elders. We see 1 Timothy 3, the priority of elders over local congregations. We see in 1 Peter 5, instructions to elders 
um, for the way they should rule over a church and instructions to the church to submit to elders. Um, We see in Acts 15, a general assembly where all the representatives come together to debate a big issue, whether you should be circumcised, whether, whether converts should be circumcised. They make a decision. They send that overture back to all the churches and say, this is the official rule. You do not have to be circumcised to be a Christian. So we see general assemblies. We see presbyteries forming. We see elders from different congregations close to each other working together. Um, Hebrews 13, 17 speaks to rulers over a church that must be obeyed. So it's a very biblical system when you look at the functionings of the New Testament church. And what it does is it takes the keys of the kingdom of heaven and it prioritizes the ordination of qualified leaders. The qualifications are enormous. You can go look out. This is why I left you increase so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as a direct you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery and subordination. Um, for an overseer's God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant, quick-tempered, drunkard, violent, greedy for gain, hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. I mean, good gracious. It's basically saying, I want you to find the people that are above reproach leadership in the church, and I want you to ordain them as the authority over that church, but we're not going to give them ultimate authority. We're going to, we're going to have a plurality of leadership such, such that it's a checks and balance type of thing so that um, the keys of the kingdom of heaven don't belong to one person or don't belong to all of you. It belongs to these ordained, set-apart elders of the church. Don't ask me about deacons this week. I will get into it that week, but that is the essence of Presbyterianism. It is really, really important for me to just say this um, to you, and then, and then I'll pray for us. And I will be able to uh, go more in depth into it next week. I wanted to give you a general understanding. I'll talk about the PCA and us next week. We do this because I believe it, is, it, it pragmatically works as a system. I believe that. If I were to, if, if you were to go to a leadership manual and write a book and say, what's the best way to organize a church structure institution? I think something like Presbyterianism or American democracy would be a great system, and I think it works really, really well when it's done well. It's not without its flaws, of course, and it can be corrupted, of course, as we have demonstrated. But as a system, I think pragmatically it is just superior, and I like that, but that's not why I'm Presbyterian. I'm a Presbyterian because I believe, I really truly believe when you look at the way Jesus instituted his church with the plurality of apostolic leadership, when you see Paul go and prioritize elders being ordained and overseeing the church, when you see Acts and you see the church existing underneath the authority of these elders, I believe it's biblical. I believe God designed it this way for a reason. I think it works. I think it's. I think. I think we do it not because it's. It works. I think it works because it's biblical. And you just need to know. And I'll, I'll just say this. Um, I get. To, I get to do this. The other good thing about me not being uh, in charge here is that I can. I can speak freely, and it's not me bragging. I think you have the privilege, and we're going to get in this t- tomorrow or next Sunday. I think you have the privilege of serving under the best elders. Not hyperbole. Okay. I mean this. The best session of elders I know in the PCA. Um, the people who are making decisions for this church, the people who are praying for this church, 
the people who I've seen in tears over this church, the people who have been trusted with the weighty shepherding and discipline of this church, you have no idea the amount of time and energy and prayer, at times fasting, that these men are doing for you. They're not paid a penny. They pay me, and I'm not even in charge. They're not paid a penny. And I'm telling you, I've seen them operate, and you should count yourself blessed to submit to the authority of this session. I certainly do. I count it a privilege to submit myself to this session. Technically, I'm submitting to the presbytery, but when I show you how we function next week at TCPC, you will see that really I'm submitting to the session. It's good. Last week I told you it's good to submit to church authority. This week I'm telling you it's good to submit to Presbyterian church authority, a plurality of ordained, godly, above reproach men. And you have that here at TCPC, so you should be very, very thankful. Let me pray. Lord, thank you um, for the church. Thank you for organizing us and bringing order, as Paul said. And thank you, Lord, um, for our elders and our session. Lord, I know them, and they'd be the first to... um, shy away from such praise, but um, Lord, I do thank you for those uh, 22 men that you have raised up and the others that you are raising up among us. Um, Thank you for their leadership. Thank you for their humility. Thank you for their love. Uh, Lord, they're not perfect. We as pastors are not perfect. Um, I pray that you would grow us in our humility, grow us in repentance, and that we would demonstrate to this congregation what it looks like to be servant leaders that we would be the ones who are the chief repenters, who confess first, who repent first, who change first, who lead by example as under-shepherds of you, our great good shepherd who has laid down his life for his sheep, who has died for his church. Teach us to lead that way. Thank you so much um, for this opportunity to be together as your people. And I pray now as we enter back into worship that you would prepare our hearts um, to worship you, the one true and good God. Amen.